Hello and welcome to this episode of Be Together Life in Care podcast at Barclay. I'm Nadine Barlow, Head of People at Barclay Care Group. And on this episode, we are talking about mental health. Now, this is a topic that is very close to my heart, not just from my own experience with my own mental health, but also from studying psychology, supporting people as an HR professional in various situations with their mental health. So if you're listening to this now and you yourself are struggling with mental health, please know that you're not alone and there are people out there who care and want to help. So with that being said, it's time for me to introduce my guests. So my first guest is one of our incredible nurses from Blenheim House in Wiltshire, Sarah Westover. Welcome, Sarah. Hello. Uh, and my second guest is everyone's favourite HR professional <laughs> and recently certified mental health first aider, Lawrence Feather. Um, so welcome to you both thank you so much for joining us um on this on this episode um so sarah your background is um as a mental health nurse nurse right so tell us a little bit about that yes i started in general nursing back in 1983 and moved over into mental health nursing in 1987 so i've had rather a long career in the nhs in mental health nursing before joining Berkeley Care and working in a home in Melcham. Um, I started working in an inpatient psychiatric unit and an mm. intensive care unit. Then I moved into community adult nursing and then I moved into paediatric mental health liaison nursing. Then I moved into court diversion. This is all with the mental health focus. And then I moved into, moved into youth offending team and then child and adolescent mental health. So I've got a career in the mental health that spans about 40 years and pretty much had seen everything across the range until moving into nursing care sector in the nursing home and recognising that well, I will quote the National Institute of Health that says between 65 and 90 percent of nursing home residents have a mental disorder ranging from common health problems, if there's such a thing, common inverted um, mm. inverts, um, and anxiety, depression, up to quite serious mental health issues. So I feel, though the bigger part of my career has been in mental health so it was quite intimidating initially moving into an RGN role in a nursing home where you might think physical needs are the predominant thing. I actually recognised how mental health illness is a pervasive thing that actually um, spans every sector, every area and, and is actually a very big area. So it's not only the residents that I focus on in the workplace, but also staff, relatives, and and I can easily, because of my experience in, in my career, recognise early warning signs for people's deterioration in their mental health. Mm -hmm. And I can I can see things, but um I wouldn't always make it explicit because that would mm. feel too threatening for individuals. But I observe and monitor and watch and hopefully try to create an environment of safety through 
my own well aura <laughs> mm. through my empathy through my compassion and um and also a big thing is not making assumptions and just allowing people to be meeting them where they're at and mm. just bringing them along with me if necessary to to a better place um so that's kind of where i come from it, it's it's difficult in a nutshell to sum up mental health it's just such a big area and everyone's an individual we use person-centered care um so therefore we're thinking about people holistically it's it's a cycle and one feeds into the other so so for me um i i feel quite comfortable with people because mm. of those those skills that I've acquired through the years and um, and hopefully some of my qualities I like to think I'm quite a patient person none of us are patient all the time <laughs> but um, but I like to think that those qualities work within this environment absolutely I mean fantastic experience Sarah I mean amazing um, so many different you know environments that you've worked in as well where you've you know you you've been able to work with different people you know including you know your pediatric experience which is you know must have been really interesting and clearly we can talk we could talk about this this topic for hours it is such a huge it is such a huge topic um and we'll only we'll only be able to skim the the, the surface um today in the time that we've got but um you mentioned those early warning signs that you can kind of see um and pick up on and you don't always kind of uh, make a point of sort of pointing that out to, to the person because clearly sometimes if somebody is struggling with mental health the, the last thing they want uh, somebody to do is kind of uh, draw a lot of attention to that necessarily but what are those kind of warning signs that you've seen with with people that you've worked with where you've just picked up on that and thought oh okay yeah I need to keep an eye on that well it can be in many different behaviors so Obviously, the more explicit ones are people bursting out crying in front of you and running mm. out of the So, you know, people do get overwhelmed and they do um, bring in their home life with them because we can't separate ourselves as much as we might try when you work in, walk into the workplace. So, um, so it could be things like somebody being able to say explicitly or it could be that somebody is becoming a little bit more aggressive, a bit more mm. short with their colleagues, um, not really getting on with the team, uh, distancing themselves, uh, removing themselves, and you see the red faces and the wet eyes. So mm. it, these are all things. Yeah, absolutely, that you can pick up on. And this must be something that you, Lawrence, have, have seen as well, these kind of early warning signs, because you, you obviously have done the mental health first aider um, course quite recently back in June. Um, so you must see this with people where, you know, you just, and I know you have, because you've told me that you've kind of just picked up in our conversations, you said, I just got the feeling that this person isn't okay. Um, and it's just knowing the right questions to ask, you know, so, um, Tell us a little bit about that, you know, what yeah. in your experience so far as a as a mental health first aider. I think first I can just picture Sarah's CV as one of those scrolls that you just unfurl. <laughs> it just rolls along the floor behind you. Um, that's incredible. And I was kind of thinking before we 
um, before we joined this podcast call today, that we wouldn't really have too much to add to the mental health conversation because, you know, there are so many celebrities out there like Ryan Reynolds, Fern Cotton, Stephen Bartlett, but I think we can add Sarah to that list. Yes. She sounds like an absolute gem. Um, in terms of, yeah, just echoing what Sarah says, really, um, when I'm out and about in the homes, I think one real sign to me that someone's um, experiencing a downturn on their mental health continuum is um, speaking really quickly and and, and and not making sense with their sentences. It's like their thoughts are racing before mm. it comes out of their mouth and then it comes out of their mouth and it, it, it's not clear. For me, that's a real, um, a real warning sign that um, they are on that downturn. And that's kind of mm. when, when I would you know, kick into gear with my mental health first aider training. Great, absolutely. And what made you want to do that training other than a strong recommendation from me to say you should totally do this because I've done I've done the mental health first aid training. I did it about mm. three, three or four years ago. Um, and I've just this year since I joined Barclay done my refresher um, actually mm -hmm. and it is you know it's a really course a really great course with some uh, great skills that uh, I think transfer across not just in mental health conversations but just mm -hmm. you know basic active listening skills that I think are really really useful in in my day-to-day -day role but what made you kind mm -hmm. of decide that you wanted to that you wanted to do it? Yeah, I don't want to sound too hippie-like, but wouldn't it be nice if we all lived in a world where as many people as possible had the basic ability to approach other fellow beings who were potentially not in the best place mentally? So that was the first kind of motivation. Then I thought, secondly, it, it, I mean, kind of linked to the first one, actually, it, I think it, it, I knew it would benefit um, my colleagues, I knew it would benefit me, it would help me reflect on certain things, which it did. Um, and I knew um, my friends and family, I knew it would benefit those people as well. So I thought, I've got, I've got nothing to lose here. This is one mm. of those very rare situations where you're in a win-win situation and not to go ahead and do the course would have been a really stupid thing to do to, for, for me personally. So that's why I went ahead and um, grabbed both opportunity, grabbed opportunity with both arms. Absolutely, and we've obviously got another course running in October. Shame, shameless plug, but we've got another course running in October for the uh, mental health first aid course. So um, you've still got a few days to put your application in. Uh, if you're if you're listening and it's still August, uh, then uh, um, do get your do get your applications in to uh, be one of our mental health first aiders um, in in the group. So yeah, mental health first aid is a fantastic, um, a fantastic role. And as you said, Lawrence, it's there's there's benefits for for every everyone. But I think you know, going back to you, Sarah, you know, what do you think people are afraid of when it comes to talking about mental health? Do you think there is still a, a kind of a, a, a bit of stigma? Do you think that you know people are aware enough, or they're still you know do do people still need that you know those skills and um, un greater understanding of of mental health to to really um, not be not be fearful of of supporting people. Um, I think obviously in the different generations, people are coming from different places. So I think there's some people that find it very easy to be able to talk about their feelings, and they're very good at it. 
And then I think there's people that struggle with language and mm. with expressing emotional mm. language. And then I think we get people in the older generation who probably haven't been exposed to talking about feelings very much um, in their in their lifetimes and um, perhaps display their what I call cognitive dissonance or or conflicts in their head or loss of function or loss of physical ability, which we all got to face at some point. Um, and rather than being able to express that uh, this is what I feel miserable about, that, that we might be exposed to different types of behaviours, defensive behaviours, um, sort of slightly obsessional behaviours, um, physical symptoms, Mm. Um, so, I mean, obviously, all the usual things like poor concentration and avoidance mm. and um, all, the, all these sorts of things are, are the things that if you know a person when they're well in every area, then you're able to recognise difference. So I mm. think, um, you know, it, it's quite hard because we've all got different personalities. And so just sort of thinking back to your point, Lawrence, about, you know, people that are speaking quickly. Well, there are people that are very relaxed and they give that nice relaxed aura and make everyone feel comfortable. But there are people that are just naturally very quick in speaking and, and mm. rush about anyway, which might be quite normal for them as well. So but then again, it might be totally abnormal depending on what's what's right and what they're comfortable with and what their what I call pre-morbid personality is. Yeah, absolutely. It is about understanding what's normal for that individual, isn't it? What what what's their normal disposition and what's kind of what's kind of changed and, and, and what are you and what are you seeing there? Um, and in terms of that stigma, Lawrence, what's what's your sort of view? Do you think that you know, particularly hearing what Sarah's had to say in terms of different people expressing their mm. feelings, you know, as as the man on the podcast, do you think it's it's still tougher for for guys to kind of open up and 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 you know not not wanting you to speak on behalf of your entire gender, but you know, <laughs> just do you, do you, from personal experience, do you think it is is tougher for 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 that degree of honesty to happen and uh, uh, for for guys or you know mm. is that something that you've seen that that still uh, people are a little bit reluctant to to open up I think two things I, I I genuinely don't think there's a stigma about mental health anymore and I think there's more of an eye-rolling culture when it comes to people mentioning mental health and I don't know if that's a good thing or if it's a bad thing um mm. is it a good thing because it's become normalized and there's more support channels and um to answer your second question I think the, the people who um, I've spoken to the, the, the most around like mental health and that type of thing are actually being men. And considering when we've got seven, was it seventeen percent of our workforce is male? That's that's quite a. I mean, it, it's it's positive actually that um, that that that's that that's the the experience that I've had. Again, I can't speak for all men in all sectors of all companies, but that's just my observations. But um, again, is it a bad thing that people are eye rolling because? due to that eye rolling are we taking it as seriously and i think that that's that's an interesting interesting question you've asked yeah it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting thought i mean i think it's fantastic that you know our your experience is that you know you are having uh, men in our business who are coming to you and, and uh, uh, having that discussion anybody having that discussion is a really positive mm -hmm. step and i think when it comes to stigma you know when you have when you raise awareness 
about something what comes with that is prevalence so generally speaking with any you know psychological disorders you have you know an increase in the amount of people who have um, specific disorders and that's been the case for a really really long time I think hopefully we're on a journey we're on a trajectory where we will continue to move through to a place of uh, of greater acceptance and and people then feeling empowered and feeling like they've got the tools mm. to help each other um and sometimes all that is 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 not actually giving advice or doing anything in in particular it is just sitting in the mud with that person and letting them know that they're not on their own um and that you're there to and that you're there for them and you're there to listen and you care um so i think hopefully we'll get to that place where actually people are not you know, reluctant to just sit in the mud with someone when they see mm. that they're struggling, that they're, they're happy to 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 be with to 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 sit with them, to support them and just listen. Um and, you know, not feel like they're getting involved or, you know, they're getting caught mm. up in in, you know, people's lives or um that they might do harm as well. I think that's that that can be another um concern that people have is that or what if I say the wrong thing or, or mm. what if I do the wrong thing? Um and and that then makes the person worse or something. Well actually we can't live in in that fear of of doing the wrong thing because doing nothing is is definitely worse than than doing something um, when mm. it comes to to mental health. In in my opinion, what what do you think, Sarah? Do you think that that's uh, that, that that people do have a bit of a fear of saying the wrong thing? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I was just sort of reflecting on the stigma question, and I think mm. it is great that we're talking about mental health a lot more. I think when stigma leads to discrimination which um, I don't think everybody's on the same page um, in terms of not discriminating against people on the basis of mental health. I think mm -hmm. nobody wants to admit to it, but I think that still exists, needs to be broken down. Um, I 100% agree being present, just be able to be present with somebody in a room is a thing in itself, is a big thing. You describe it as sitting in the mud. Um, and for some people, there is a fear. There is a fear of saying the wrong thing and making the situation worse. But so that's about people developing confidence to be able to be with somebody and, and feel confident with that without feeling that fear. Um, yeah, it's. Um, um, I don't really know um, what else to say about that, particularly because it's provoking quite a lot of thoughts. Yeah, it is. It's such a, like we said at the start, it's such a huge topic, isn't it, in terms of uh, mental health and, and the advice to, to, to give people. Um, and I think, you know, it's from, from, from my experience as well, um, I've supported lots of people over the years in various uh, situations, um, whether they're off work or coming back to work. Um, and, you know, to your point, Sarah, there's, I've, I've met some people who I can see, you know, are having never met them before, you know, we talked about what's normal for that individual. I've met some people who I can tell are very, very poorly with mental health issues um, and uh, are kind of just uh, a bit hopeless and, and, and not feeling like they have uh, much of a future and actually just having conversations with them and putting in place those baby steps and a, a comprehensive plan to help them, you know, get their life back. Um, has been, you know, a, a huge part of the reason why I do the job I I do. Um, because, you know, 
somebody's somebody being able to get back to normal function and and being able to come back to work and and things like that um you know is a is a a hugely important part of their of their recovery so um so yes i think there's definitely there's definitely work to be done in in the mental health space um and i think uh yeah we it's it's about that care plan isn't it really uh when it comes to um supporting people um which is probably something you've uh you know had experience with as well lawrence yeah, um, I was just going to touch on what you were going to say, on what you said around um, being in the mud and people have mentioned tools a couple of times. And um, when I was preparing for this podcast, I wrote the word chess down and I'll try and make an analogy. I think it might might be useful. And I think there are some useful tools in there which people can use and I would absolutely recommend that people use. And um, that analogy is essentially the moment that you that you realize that you're you're experiencing a downturn on that mental health continuum it's kind of like you've been thrust or pushed into the middle of a chess game and you kind of want to know what the best move on the board is but depending on what you've been through in your life your own experiences what you've not been through in life depending on the people you have around you depending on the, the person that you are you may not know how to play chess at all. And I think that just as a chess player's victory comes from um, anticipating what the opponent's gonna do in terms of their moves, I think our mental well-being improves when we try to address proactively future challenges. It might be that the, the best move on the board is not the easiest move, so it might be that weaning off bad habits or uh, weaning off unhelpful coping mechanisms such as drinking until you're blackout drunk or it might be that you know letting go of a toxic relationship it's not it's not the easiest move but it might be the best move on the board and I guess just take, taking a, a step back and reaching out for support be it through work or your friendship group professionals family members that is likely to be the best move on the board but absolutely don't underestimate the power of joining a gym or going out for a run doing some some exercise helping out in the community um have realizing that you actually you do have power over having control of your own life to a large degree and you know you're you're on your own hero's journey and the hero has to face trials and tribulations before being reborn so Mm. Um, I think these are all great moves to make either way. I think the best way to win a chess game is through making that strategy and making that plan and knowing that um, there is support there um, for you and knowing that making a wrong move doesn't necessarily mean that you automatically move the, uh, lose the game. Mm. And um, also being Russian seems to help. So, well, Lawrence has been watching too much Queen's Gambit on Netflix or playing <laughs> playing too much chess. But I love the chess analogy, actually, because yeah. um, I think, 
you know it, it it kind of puts it into 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 different terms that um you don't always you don't always hear people um put them into in terms of in terms of mental health and yeah certainly from my experience like, like I was saying before it is it is all about those those moves that you make and it is about the total care plan it's never about one solution it's never about you know just going on medication or just going and having counselling or just um, going for a run or whatever it may be. It's actually about all of those things. Mm-hmm. It's the total care plan. It's mm-hmm. very similar to, you know, um, you know, a comprehensive care plan that we try and have with our, uh, you know, our residents. So for me, it's the whole, it's the whole piece um, coming together um, that, that equals recovery. Um, and sometimes that's a different mix, you know, that's a different mix of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly for me, I know when I'm not doing so well mental health wise and I know what are healthy coping mechanisms for me in terms of, OK, this is where I need to make sure I'm getting enough sleep and I need to make sure I'm spending enough time outside. And I need, you know, all of these kind of things, the checks that I have in my mind to maintain um, good mental health because we all have mental health everybody does it's not just the people who have mental health issues um it's it's uh everybody has um, mental health to maintain and it isn't static it doesn't stay the same okay well that's all the time we have on the podcast today so sarah i'm going to come to you finally for some last sentiments to, to oh, wrap us up please summing it up we're all very different some of us are very much more sensitive than others and need different things with our environment within our environment and to know what works for us as Lawrence says if you don't know how to play the game it's hard to be in it so learning the skills to be able to participate is a very important thing recognizing what are healthy coping mechanisms and what are unhealthy coping mechanisms and trying to capitalize more on the healthy mechanisms as you've already said getting out in the fresh air connecting with people not hiding away um taking a brave step sometimes and talking to somebody if if you're feeling really bad um and um yeah those kind of habits and uh, and it's just really nice to say with berkeley care is a very inclusive employer um so looking across neurodiversity which makes life difficult for some people who have mm-hmm. different ways of thinking about things different brain neurology um, i think it's just wonderful that berkeley care embraces that and um and promotes the employment of those in, uh, of individuals with those kind of uh, difficulties in life so so yeah i think we just you know we can continue to keep um doing our best um and that's as much as any of us can do in trying to support each other in an environment to be the best we can be fantastically said Sarah I love it um, and thank you both so much for being um, on this episode um, today and thank all of you for listening um, to this podcast um, and we will see you next time for the next episode of Be Together Life in Care podcast at Berkeley thank you so much thank you thank you